becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger straight around the corner. It's a dream that you get to make real. <laughs> Did you watch that? It was a great movie. <laughs> it really was. It was kind of the first of its kind, I think. Yeah. It was a, uh, groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> welcome to, to the, the shores. shores. <laughs> to the third time. <laughs> oh, yeah. How's it going? You know, just thinking about decisions and consequences. Yeah, yeah. Just randomly. <laughs> <laughs> just randomly. <laughs> sounds like something you'd be thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> No, that was part of our pre pre podcast uh, conversation, and mm-hmm. thought we'd carry it into this one. So, pre podcast becomes podcast, it becomes postcard podcast, <laughs> becomes life. <laughs> life imitates podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, something that's been on my mind is the relationship between decisions and, as I put it, decisions and suffering. Oh, suffering. Okay. Yeah, but I think maybe as we kind of play with that idea, I think, I think decisions and consequences is, is maybe, um, a, a better, well, easier way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Cause suffering sounds, um, intense <laughs> decisions and suffering. It definitely, definitely seems like, you know, suffering is an aspect of decision making. You know, it can be. Uh-huh. <clears throat> yeah. So I was, I was struggling with, um, sort of working, working through a relationship and feeling like things weren't clear. Like the relationship wasn't clear. My thoughts on, on it weren't clear. And I was thinking about how I wanted clarity. Um, it's an uncomfortable place to be in when there's not clarity, especially when your own thinking isn't clear. Mm. You know, what is what? I, I don't know. I don't know what, what this is or what that is or what this means or what to take you know, to tell, do I take this seriously or not? Or, um, that's not a good place to be. I was thinking about how I wanted clarity. And then I thought, well, is there a difference between clarity and a decision? Hmm. Like a decision is what makes things clear, mm-hmm. you know, and at least in that, in that instance, when you're trying to work out something like a relationship or like feelings, what is it? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not something which can sort of, you can't answer that by simply observing something outside of you. It's like, you're a part of that. Mm-hmm. So clarity comes from a decision. We say, I've decided that this is what this is. You know, I've decided to, you know, at the, at the extremes, it's like, I've decided to marry you, which mm-hmm. is to say what the relationship is, or I've decided to, to break this off, which is to say that it is no more. Um, And then I was thinking through that and I thought about how, uh, you know, in the, in the Genesis story, God has Adam name the animals. And I thought, I always, I always thought of that story or that particular act, like Adam naming the animals as kind of arbitrary and like hmm. silly. Mm-hmm. Like, so Adam's just going <laughs> to say sounds out of his face <laughs> and then that's what that is yeah there's a <laughs> yeah right like these words haven't existed before and, uh-huh. but 
it makes perfect sense in in when I think think through it more because well what is this animal what is that animal how can you how can we tell how can we even talk about them we have to say what they are <clears throat> and that's a decision I decide that this is a bird mm-hmm. I decide that this is an elephant now clearly there's something to be observed a difference between the bird and the elephant um, but we can't talk about what those differences are until we identify them with a word that we can use to talk about them in the abstract. Hmm. So you make a decision and, and the decision is somewhat arbitrary, Yeah. you know, but it's hard because it's hard to decide something. A lot of people don't like to do it. P- Jordan Peterson has a great, um, who I feel like his, his name has been uttered on the podcast like the last four episodes, <laughs> but um, he has a great clip talking about how people like to keep things ill-defined because to define something is to set up your criteria for failure. <clears throat> hmm. um, it's hard to, dis- to make decisions because, well, uh, the Latin root of the word decide means to slay to reduce a set of options down to one by removing the other options to kill them off. Mm-hmm. It's not so much that you, you know, it's not, it's almost not a, like a real decision. Isn't so, sort of like a matter of preference. You know, and I might change my mind later. It's like a real decision <coughs> is like what you say when you ask someone to marry you, I cut off all other options. I remove them from me. Mm-hmm. I choose you no other options exist anymore. They've been slain. Um, And that's hard to do because you now have to suffer the loss of what is not included in the decision. Mm -hmm. You know, but that's also, I think that has to do with relationship also is like, you can't have a relationship with something without naming or deciding or dividing it out from other things. You know, if you're, if you're, I mean, if you take the elephant example, you're in a, uh, a, 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 a safari area and, you know, you want someone to, to see the elephant, you know, you can't be like, Hey, look. And there's like a lion, a zebra and stuff like that. Like, it's like, you don't know what you're looking at. And so you say, Hey, look at the elephant. You know, it's like you've, you've distinguished it out of all the other elements that are in the, in the area. Right. That then you have a relationship with what you're looking, what you're looking at, right? And you can communicate that to somebody else, and <clears throat> you know I think that's the same idea of like you know uh, relationships in general. You know uh, it can be with things or with people, but you know uh, you know if, if if you know you and I's relationship wasn't defined, like hey, here's my best friend Matt. You know it's like it's like well that distinguishes him from like an acquaintance, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> right. or like you know. Or some bum off the street, you know, it's like, well, you might still be a bum, but, (laughs) (laughs) but it's like, there's this distinction and it makes that relationship something specific. Like, here's my mom, here's my dad. It specifies. It specifies. At the expense of all other things that it could be. Mm -hmm. So in, in romantic relationships, it's common, you know, if if two people like each other and they've been friends for a long time, it's Mm -hmm. a common thing for people to say, well, I don't want to date them because I don't want to ruin our friendship. Yeah. Like if you decide that this is something other something more maybe mm-hmm. you are you are putting at risk you're losing what it was mm-hmm. you're changing it yeah 
that's a, and the, and the, the result of that decision could be wonderful, mm-hmm. you know, could be joyful. Um, and maybe even joyful for a time. And then maybe that changes again too, but you're, you're removing the previous option once you decide that it's something more. Mm-hmm. Or even just the distinction between like, you know, a lot of people use the word partner, you know, like what's, what is that? Why is that? Why is that so distinct from marriage? And, you know, there's a, I think that's a terrible aspect. trend. Uh, yeah. I do too. I, it, Cause even like, if I say, Hey, this is my business or this is my business partner, you know, it's like, I, I, that makes more sense to me. But like when you're talking about somebody you're living with, this is my partner. It seems very transactional and well, here's a my corporate or corporation of some sort. I think my objection to it is I think the reason in romantic relationships that people use the term partner is um, because there's a general sentiment in modern culture that the idea of marriage is somehow antiquated. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> you know, people will be in serious long-term relationships and live together and, and do all and behave as if they're married Mm -hmm. and then want to be sort of seen as equal to people who are married. Like don't think less of our relationship because we're not married. They're my partner. Mm -hmm. And so it became, it becomes this like reverse. um, It's like signaling. It's signaling for someone who's not married, that they're serious Mm -hmm. to others. And for people who are married, who use that term, I think they're acquiescing to those who would seek to co-opt the seriousness of marriage without marriage. Mm -hmm. And I think that what you're attempting to say that that person is to you is something that you haven't decided that they are. Mm -hmm. They're, they're either your girlfriend or your wife, Mm -hmm. your boyfriend or your husband. Or fiance and or fiance. Yeah. yeah fiance like would be the intermediary step. step. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. But partner. Well, it's like, it doesn't, it's, it's this weird attempt. Like in culture, we're trying to simultaneously put everything into the smallest category possible mm-hmm. and then also fit everything into the largest category possible. <laughs> um, you know, like intersectionality makes distinctions between, or if you just look at like uh, gender ideology, how many genders are there? Well, infinite, mm-hmm. you know, we need one specific for every sit person's set of feelings. But then we say partner. And, and if somebody says, this is my partner, I don't know whether to think that they're married in a serious relationship, mm-hmm. dating, doing business together. Mm-hmm. And I think it's meant to be ill-defined. Yeah. And maybe this goes to that, that, that quote from Peterson that people like to keep things ill-defined because if you define them, then you set up the, criteria for your failure, which is the same thing as to say you set up the criteria for your success. Mm -hmm. It's like you're setting criteria by which you will be judged. Yeah. And you hold yourself accountable Mm -hmm. to that criteria. Right. But if I say partner, well, I can signal in some ill-defined way that I'm serious about you Mm -hmm. without making you think that maybe I'm going to marry you. Yeah, I guess some people could object to that in a sense of like marriage sometimes has come out of more of a religious language. And so that's, I think there's somewhat maybe of a denial of that aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Um, although if you look at like kind of what marriage has sort of symbolized, you know, is sort of this idea of like, I'm committing myself to you and only you. And and usually that also means sexually. And there's a, there's a biological and evolutionary aspect of that too, as far as like, 
you're committing to this person. Obviously this doesn't happen a hundred percent, but like to only have sex with this one person to ensure that, you know, Hey, we're going, these kids that we produce are ours. Mm -hmm. And, and therefore I'm also committed to the future of those kids also. So I think in marriage, maybe traditionally or are in a, in a larger sense over the millennia has been this sort of idea of like, your lineage and into the future mm-hmm. and marriage sort of represents the first step in that commitment to the future of your lineage through this person or with this person. You yeah. Know? <clears throat> well, it makes sense to me that marriage would exist in within the religious context, because I think the whole idea of marriage is religious. Hmm. I mean, to say to someone, I'm going to commit myself to you. Yeah. Till death do us part, I'm only going to sleep with you, mm-hmm. is a wild act of faith. Mm-hmm. You know, I, was, I, I officiated a wedding um, a couple of years ago for some friends, and I was trying to think about what I wanted to say to them you know, during the sort of little ceremony that we had, and I thought, marriage is such a wild thing to do, to say, I'm going to commit I'm going to bind myself to you for this indefinite, completely unknown future. Mm-hmm. We don't know what we're going to encounter. And I don't know how you're going to change. And I don't know how you're going to behave. It's like, I have a pretty good sense of it. I have mm-hmm. a feel for you. Um, but you don't know. So you're making a declaration of faith. Mm. I believe is what you're saying. You know, I, the, you read the vows between one another and one says, you know, I, till death, I, what do they say? <laughs> I commit to love you in sickness and health until death is part, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like the response when they say, uh, do you, and they say, I do. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think what they're saying is I believe you. Yeah. And I believe that this will be true mm-hmm. throughout the indefinite and unknown future. Dude, it makes me it's think a beautiful of like you were thing. talking about creativity last time. Hmm. You know, it's like, it's hard to be creative until you have sort of defined element that you're being creative through. Hmm. And so having more, having some sort of restriction actually is freedom in order to create. So you're actually, there's an aspect of this that, okay, within this palette of this marriage of between this person and me, we're going to create something. And there's nothing outside of this, this palette that is you and me. And so, so now you're limited, but then there's this creative element that comes into <clears throat> that aspect. I was talking to a coworker today. Um, he's a young guy and he was telling me about, uh, <clears throat> we were talking about dating apps and he was talking about, I, I know you've heard these stats cause I think, you know, he, it turns out he listens to a lot of the same podcasts I do, which mm-hmm. means he listens to a lot of the same things you do. And <laughs> totally. I think it's Rob Henderson was putting out these stats that on, on dating apps, um, it's something like, uh, men will sort of swipe right or like the, the profiles of something like 60 to 80% of the women. Mm you know, you put Tinder in a guy's hand and he's going to swipe right on like a lot. Mm-hmm. But for women, they only swipe right. Something like it's either like 4% oh, wow. or 8% or something. Mm-hmm. These are not exact numbers, but the, yeah. d- the point is there's a wild difference. And the result of that is that 
this guy was saying um, to me that his experience is that most of the women he knows on dating apps, they've got hundreds, if not thousands of likes mm. of, of, you know, potential matches. Right. Yeah. And you might think, well, great, you know, tons of opportunity for you and you've got this wide playing field and so many options. Um, but then he was telling me that he was talking to one of his friends, this girl, and she had decided that her strategy was going to be that she was going to basically focus on one at a time. Hmm. So once she finds somebody that she's mildly interested in, it's like, I'm going to stop looking at the other options. I'm going to stop swiping and I'm going to see where this goes for as long as that takes, which might be a day, might be a week, might actually turn into some dates, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. And it seems to me like, and this is all in response to his, my friend's or observation that, you know, none of the online dating relationships really ever go very deeply, go very deep. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because at least for the women, there's far too many options. Hmm. And so women will just stop responding if you message them or whatever, Mm -hmm. because they've got hundreds, if not thousands of other people that could, they could respond to. And Mm so, um, her strategy seems to me to be more likely to be successful at finding a, well, partner or, uh, to, to end up in a relationship because then you have the opportunity to actually see where something goes. Mm -hmm. So in that same, for that same reason, it seems like the limitations, as you were just saying, like with creativity, the limitations, whatever they are of marriage Mm -hmm. are actually what enable the relationship to go somewhere. Mm somewhere deep, somewhere satisfying, somewhere creative, somewhere transcendent, somewhere, uh, I'll I'll just stop with the words. (laughs) (laughs) You had me captivated. I was was like, what else is coming? Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Which is interesting because I, I, just to be this on this, on the cynical side of that too, is like, there's a part of it too, that you, you also meet the full aspect of the other human being, you know, Mm -hmm you have to engage in the, in the things that might not be as beautiful too, but you're committed to that also. It's like, you're committed to the whole person mm. where, you know, um, yeah, I think that's, that's the only, that's the only verbiage that you have to really communicate that idea of being committed to the whole person. Partner doesn't really do it. Um, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend doesn't really do it. It, it, there's always sort of like this is sort of like this temporary or getting to know you type of language or uh, symbolism behind it. But I think marriage is the one idea traditionally or, you know, uh, evolutionarily speaking, you can see like marriage in different ways, but has had that communication of I'm fully committed to you as a whole person. And that means our bank accounts to, you know, everything that might be uh, negative about you or, mm-hmm. or might have a hard time with, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think partner really communicates that same idea. <clears throat> it's important to communicate the right idea, mm-hmm. right? When you choose the words that you use, you are, you are communicating something. You're, you're signaling something to yourself and mm-hmm. to those that you're communicating with what something is, what you hope it will be. Which is crazy because, I, again, and this is going to sound so prudish of me to say this talk like this, but 
there is this idea of like you're you're playing marriage. We we've kind of done this with sex in general, and it's like there's like you know the sexual revolution. We have birth control, and there's a lot of great things that are around this. <clears throat> but at the same time, it's sort of like if you look at it from an evolutionary point of view, is like we're playing with something that biologically has meant a completely different, mm-hmm. and we're wired psychologically and biologically for this to mean something else, but we're actually interacting with it in a way that is not the way it was wired into us, you know, as far as like, you know, you know, up until, you know, probably the, was it sixties when birth control came into, and there's, Mm -hmm. there was different forms of birth control before this too, but became more prevalent. You know, sex was something that, you know, you, you had babies and Mm -hmm. there was a lot of things culturally that were oriented around, especially protecting women in this area because they had the highest, um, uh, not risk, but highest consequences from the, from sex was like they become pregnant. A man doesn't become pregnant, so they don't have as much consequence behind that decision. So uh, you know, you see all these things with courting or, uh, you know, that you can't be in the same room. You have to have a chaperone. You know, there's all these things that are built into culture to sort of protect mm-hmm. that idea. And then when we come into more of the sexual revolution and, and this idea of like, you can have as much sex all the time everywhere and it's no big deal. But you have to kind of think about like what, how we're wired and cause it's not just like all of a sudden over 50 years, we can be psychologically wired differently. Um, and all this means something different. Well, there seems to be like, there seems to be an imper- an imperative in that wiring mm-hmm. though. Like to say that that's just how we're wired is to be like, well, I think it can be misconstrued as either, well, um, you know, someone wired us that way, maybe mm-hmm. God or whatever, or maybe we were wired that way by the way the world used to be, but it's not that way anymore. So mm-hmm. we need to be rewired for the new world. Totally. But <clears throat> I actually think that that wiring is an imperative because the it's like the highest order value is to propagate the species. Yeah. I mean, anything else that you could do of valuing your life, I could ask you the question, well, who, well, who's that for? Hmm. And because you're going to die. So we're, so am I. So is everyone that you know, but there's going to be more after. I mean, the, the highest, the high order ideals and visions and, and propositions of value that, that we make, the ones that we consider really good are the ones that leave an, an effect for the next generation. We want to improve things so that the next generation is better. Hmm. And if you, if you, so the wiring is a result of that Hmm. because if we are, if we rewire ourselves or if we were wired differently in a way that didn't prioritize the propagation of the species, then it wouldn't matter what we did and everything becomes very narcissistic and nihilistic. And, you know, it's like pleasure now, damn tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a pretty, cynical view of your life because we play that out over a few generations and what then the population collapses civilization dwindles 
what is it, Elon Musk says hmm. civilization is going to go out in adult diapers with a whimper. <laughs> totally. Like uh. if we don't correct this, if we don't change course, mm-hmm. populations all over the, the weird countries, which is a term I learned from the Weinsteins, Weinsteins weird is Western industrialized, educated, uh, I don't remember the other two <laughs> democratic mm-hmm. is one. What's the R I don't remember, but so basically in the, the weird countries, I guess what we would think of as first world, first world countries in all those countries, population is collapsing. Mm-hmm. They're all under replacement rate. Mm-hmm. If you don't change that, you don't turn that around. Well, humanity goes away. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really matter what you do. Which some people would say that that's a good thing. Which is a terrifying sentiment. Mm-hmm. You think it would be better if none of us were here. Yeah. Well, it also just to kind of like maybe step back from that a little bit, you know, just what you think of the future, you know, what are you going to, I think it's easier to, to think of the future in reference to something that comes from yourself. Like, and I think that's part of like, when you have a child, it causes you to have to think of the future. Uh, And it also shows you how selfish and, and, (laughs) and, uh, uh, yeah, just how selfish you are. And I think that's something you have to deal with. And I think that's something within marriage and having kids <clears throat> that is a hard thing to deal with because mm-hmm. it forces you to think of the future. You know, like next year, my, uh, my eldest is going to college possibly, you know, and like, like I have to consider her future with her and, or as a good parent, you should, you know, it's like, and, yeah. and help like, well, how can I help best steer you, but also allow you the freedom to explore and to, and to make your future. But I'm also here to help you. And, you know, outside of that, I think it really takes a lot to, I think people can do it outside the idea of kids, you know? Um, but I think it's really difficult because I don't think a lot of times we want to do things unless we're forced to do them. <laughs> and I think kids do force you to do a lot of things <laughs> that you don't want to do, you know? And one of them is like giving up something today for tomorrow, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, raising kids in the first 10 years is a lot of work. And then, but at the same time, you know, in 20, 30 years, you have grandkids and you're 60, 70, and you have this life that's in your life that's that's beautiful and life-giving that you get to be a part of, you know, mm-hmm. and not necessarily parent, hopefully. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So there's consequences of not not choosing sort of that that way into the future is that, you know, where does that put you at 60 or 70? You know, and that's, that might be something that for some people it's like, yeah, no, that's what I want. You know, I don't want to have that in my life. I'm like, okay, fine, fair enough. But there's always, there's consequences to all the decisions. Like a lot of mothers that my wife, uh, has in her, um, her, um, postpartum group, you know, that they're in their, you know, late thirties and forties. And like, I did not know I would love this as much as I do and being mm-hmm. focused on career and stuff like that. And which is not a bad thing. But it was something that they didn't they didn't realize that they would actually really enjoy being a mother. Hmm. And 
you know, I think that's something that as a society we've kind of forgotten is that being a parent or being a mother or a father is, is actually something really beautiful and it's worth the sacrifice early <clears throat> because later in life it's a little bit harder. You don't have the energy right. <laughs> to, to, to do that. Yeah. Hmm. I was just thinking about like <clears throat> the counter argument too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'd rather be 60 and not have children and grandchildren. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what are you going to do? And that you could answer, <clears throat> well, there's plenty of other people to mm-hmm. serve. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to try to make life better for the people who are here. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. But the more people who play that game, oh, the less people there will be to serve. Mm-hmm. It's a self-extinguishing game. Mm-hmm. Everything that lives on this earth is busy with propagating their species, is busy with extending their lineage, animals, plants, everything, Mm -hmm. because otherwise that thing wouldn't be there. It's interesting. There's almost nothing that there's nothing besides maybe a rock (laughs) that doesn't procreate in some well, if way you, you use, know if you want to if, yeah. if you want to use a rock and say well what is a rock you yeah. know it's like it emerges from the earth which is volcanic and mm. constantly mm. erupting and generating new that's true material it's like everything is in the process of creation yeah creation and decay right that's that's yeah so yeah you're either creating or you die mm. and like god it's such a wonderful thing to be alive, especially as a human. Like I was, you know, sort of to rewind to my initial line of thought, like to make something clear is to make a decision and to make a decision is to say, this is that and not this Mm. give something a name, which I think is why it's so interesting that the Adam and Eve story includes that the naming of the animals. God Mm. didn't say what the animals were named. Adam did. I think there's something unique about being a human that we make things clear. Mm. We're not sitting around on this, this planet observing things, taking in information. We are co-creating this thing as we go. We're deciding what's what separating this from that, giving things meaning, giving things utility, taking ourselves and generating wealth and prosperity, generating energy, improving the lives of people who aren't even born yet. Mm-hmm. Like this is a, in, in doing all of that by making decisions is such a wonderful thing to make things clear and to not participate in that and say, well, it would be better <clears throat> if the, the species went out in adult diapers with a whimper, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. then to create all of this, mm-hmm. it would be better if there was nothing rather than something I think is one of the most, well, it's the, the Luciferian idea. It's dark. Mm-hmm. 
and it's just plain no fun. It's like, <laughs> well, it's like, it's look, like the, the, you're a, ch- a kid and you just want to play games. You're inventing stuff all the time. And the, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the librarians like sit on your hands, <laughs> do nothing. I what a your, bummer. I love your Genesis example because it's interesting. Cause it's even if you look at it through the lens of, of God sort of acting that out prior to man. So it's like, God divides the day from the night, the, you know, the sea from the land. And it's like this sort of idea of like, it's almost saying this idea to make decisions and to distinguish between things is sort of divine. Mm-hmm. And that's something that if you want to think of that within ourselves, that's actually a divine aspect of ourselves is to be able to distinguish between things. Right. And it's not just, not just to distinguish between things, but distinguish with things correctly or with skill is is such a with wisdom with wisdom yeah yeah i mean you, you think of like in the proverbs and you know i was with uh, wisdom in proverbs is, is saying uh out on this on a hill or whatever it's like it's like i was with him in the beginning when he you know uh divided the the water from the 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 land and mm-hmm. stuff like that and it's just there's something that that is actually helps helpful for us when we do make decisions and do make distinctions between things because there's a certain enlightenment that kind of comes with it. Uh, even, even when we get it wrong, you know, it's like there's a, you make a decision and you get something wrong. There's some sort of enlightenment that kind of happens with that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, I think, I think something you said too, like I, cause I asked you earlier, uh, like, well, are all, our consequences just bad or wrong? Or, you know, it's like, always, does, is the yeah. word consequence negative? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what did you, I, I kind of forgot what you said. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't think so. Yeah. Because I think all actions have consequences. Mm-hmm. Like the consequence of me getting up and working out every morning is that I'm in shape. It's like, that's good. Mm-hmm. The consequence of me having too much whiskey is that I'm hungover. Mm-hmm. That's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Or good than bad. <laughs> yeah. Although I, I think we do tend to use the word consequence um, to describe negative outcomes. Mm-hmm. So is there an, another word that we use to describe positive outcomes? Rewards. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's the only one that comes to mind. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I think on a, on a, um, on the level of principle, like the principle is you make a decision and that decision has a consequence Mm -hmm. and it's, it's almost like it's up to you to, to see whether that consequence is good or bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, what is, you know, in the creation story, what does God say after every decision he makes and speaks out loud, by the way. Oh yeah. That's interesting. And saw that it was good. Mm -hmm. It's like he declares it good. Yes. You know, you might, because you might do something that you hope has a positive outcome and then all sorts of other negative things happen Mm -hmm. because the world is far too complex for you to predict. And so these negative things happen and you're like, well, that's not what I intended. Mm. You know, it's like the, it's like the, um, (laughs) the common sort of thing people say, if, if something happens that they, 
that has a negative outcome in a relationship, friendly or romantic, it doesn't matter. It's like, I didn't intend to hurt your feelings. Mm. And you're like, well, that doesn't really make anything better. You know, <laughs> yeah. you did. Mm-hmm. Maybe you were too foolish to see that what was going to happen was going to have this yeah. consequence. That doesn't make me feel better. Mm-hmm. Rather, you just say, I was foolish. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, but I think it's easier for me to think about the effects of decisions as consequences, because even if the, the effect of my decision is positive, it's like back to that idea that every decision is to slay something and there's a, there's a death in every decision. Hmm. And it, I almost think every decision deserves a certain amount of mourning. Like I have to mourn the thing that I put to death in order to, to move into the thing that I decided to have. That's interesting. I, I, Cause I, I kind of, I kind of get what you're talking about too, but I can also see on certain aspects where when I make a decision, there's relief involved. Totally. You know, it's like that idea. Almost always. Yeah. There's relief in a decision. Uh huh. And I wonder if too, if there's, but, but I think whenever, when I was said like uh, the part of, you might not experience the death of some of those things you may have denied yourself until later in life. You know, um, you know, you know, let's, let's continue with the marriage theme or something like that. If you, if you decide to get married and have kids, it's like, maybe you missed out on some travel and some stuff that you could have done in your earlier years. <clears throat> so there might be a kind of a morning of like, Oh, I saw a lot of my friends doing all this traveling and exploring when they were younger and I didn't get to, to do that, you know, uh, and I heard, I hear some of the, some from people who, who get married in high school and that kind of stuff, um, that I was too young and I should have, you know, maybe explored more, you know, before I got married. Uh, and so there is sort of a mourning in that too, but it, there's also a time preference in this too, that because, you know, those, those same people, again, these are all very huge generalizations and situational, but you know, you're in your forties and fifties and your kids are graduating and having grandkids. And those people who started later are like, you know, 40 years old and having a kid. And it's sort of like, Oh, I've already done that. Now I have a whole different Mm -hmm. future in front of me. Right. You know? So it's like, so maybe in that time preference, be like, Oh, I'm glad I did that at that earlier age. Or like, you know, even as an entrepreneur or, Uh, you know, going to school or working hard in your younger years and that affords you in your later years to have the financial freedom <laughs> and the wisdom you, to use the, it well, to use it. Yeah. Use it well. It's so yeah. it's, it's interesting. I think time preference also comes into preference, comes into the situation of consequences of whether they're negative or positive, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As after I said that there's, there's, there should be a bit of mourning in every decision because, something is put to death and I was sort of playing my own devil's advocate <clears throat> thinking, you know, it's like on Wednesday nights, you and I record this podcast and we always have dinner mm-hmm. beforehand. And, um, I guess, I don't know if this was because of the pandemic, we're in the habit of like picking up food and we'll eat here at the house. And, oh, yeah, that's true. um, I, I guess that's <clears throat> probably because of the pandemic because everything mm-hmm. was to go for so long and we just still do that. But, yeah. you know, it's often <laughs> that like, 
we'll be driving around like, what do you want to eat? You know, we like rattle off some options or whatever. And we sort of pick one and like tonight, for example, you said, should we go get burgers? And I was like, ah, I don't think I'm really feeling burgers. And we ended up getting pizza, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so should there be some mourning in that decision, <laughs> you know, like reduce it to something that's seemingly trivial. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you're right. It is about time preference because yeah. to say that any decision is trivial is simply to say that you have a very low time preference hmm. because, <laughs> well, play out that decision over three meals a day for the whole of your life. You know, if you're if you're deciding between burgers and pizza, it's like you're going to get sick at some point or you're going to be overweight and not feel well and not be able to do the things that you want to do. And it's like, is that trivial? Mm-hmm. No. You treated it as if it was trivial, Hmm. but it wasn't. And life's too complex to be taking everything super seriously. Like we've got to have some trivial things. It's like, Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, burger or pizza. I don't, it's like, we got to, it's about utility tonight. I just Mm -hmm. need food in my stomach. Um, you know, but that's not a sustainable game. Mm -hmm. You've got to, it would be much better if we could take every decision we make as seriously as we could and actually play that out Hmm. and say, well, you know, and you might determine, like, we probably shouldn't eat burgers. Maybe we can have burgers, uh, you know, once a month. So, like, I got to mourn that a little bit. It's like, bye, Jew boy. I'm done with this podcast. I'm done with this podcast. <laughs> you know, and, 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 you can, and this is, I think, the, we're, we're running into a bit the, the trade-off or the paradox between something like order and chaos. Mm-hmm. You know, which one do you want? Well, either one... Oh yeah. Too much in one to either in, in either direction too much Mm -hmm. is really bad, Mm -hmm. you know? And so to take every decision as seriously as you could, I actually don't think, I think I just said it would be a good thing if you could take everything as seriously as you could, Mm -hmm. but there's also something really bad in that, which is you're going to get gummed up. Like Mm -hmm. you need to be able to also make decisions with intuition Mm -hmm. quickly like decisions are really important. I think your point about relief is really important. Every decision brings about some relief because it's better for things to be clear. It's better to be something other than something rather than nothing. So to make a decision is to bring order Mm -hmm. and that's good. And that brings relief, but also too much order is tyrannical, Mm. you know, and if you had to take every decision you made and think through the full consequences of that, you know, you'd be, paralyzed locked in your room in the <laughs> fetal position never doing anything because <laughs> totally. uh-huh that's such a great point man I, I like that there's something that is i think that's where wisdom comes in and that's where you have as a parent with your kids ideally we should be helping them with some of those bigger decisions and allowing them to kind of work through you know, for themselves, maybe yeah. some of the more inconsequential things, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but then again, it's like, you know, there's, there's things that are very important. It's like who you surround yourself with is such an important thing because they have such a, a, a big influence on you. And yeah. sometimes, you know, you hear, you know, we all heard this growing up. It's like, I don't want you hanging around that kid. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you kind of hear it as bitching or something like that. But at the same time, if you kind of, peel back the layers. What they're saying is like, I don't like the, I don't like the influence that kid has on you. 
a lot of times parents don't have like the the insight on what's actually happening because like my one of my buddies, I'll just call him Buddy L. <laughs> Buddy the Elf? Buddy L. <laughs> and, you know, it's like he, everyone always, you know, it's like, oh, I was at, I was at Lincoln's place and, and, uh, and that's why I smell like smoke. You know, he was the guy who got all, you know, everything, but, but the true thing of it was, is like we were all smoking and we smell like smoke. <clears throat> right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, again, but, but, but the intention behind that is, is like our parents know that, you know, who we surround ourselves is going to dramatically influence who we become and, and, and how we, how we view the world. You know, it's like if you're, if you surround yourself with people that are positive and excited and engaging in the world, it's going to rub off on you, you know? And if you are around people that are cynical and um, nihilistic, like it's hard to not take on that. Mm -hmm. We we are social creatures and we take on the influences of those people around us. And yeah, I think of like my daughter, like she, like, I feel like some of those people that are in a, in a hard place are drawn to her because she's so empathetic. Mm. And something I've told her since she was like really little, it's like, just be careful that, you know, it's like, that's not, that's not your stuff. And Mm. I think that's hard for her because she is so empathetic that she takes it on herself. That's a really wise advice to give her. Because it's really fascinating. Like I see when she hangs around certain people, it's like she comes back somewhat energized. You know, there's still always drama and all, you know, it's (laughs) it's still high school and still a teenager, (laughs) still a teenager and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, it's, it's super interesting to watch your kids and who they hang around with and how that affects them, you know? And also like what are, how our kids affects other people. You know, it's like, you know, again, like when Evelyn and Hannah hang out, you know, it's like, they're just like, it's like, they kind of like, you know, drive themselves into like a, uh, I think they're very similar in a lot of ways, you know, it's like, there's like a positive sort of thing to that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I like your point about like, you want to work through the big decisions with your kids, but for a lot of the decisions you want them you want to let them make them themselves mm-hmm. because and see how to tie this together because you want them to fail mm. so that they know how to make decisions. Yeah. You don't want to give your kids the output of the decisions. You want them to learn how to make decisions. Mm-hmm. And I actually think this is why something like, um, like the matrix uh, like download, like I know jujitsu now, you know, mm. like downloading things into your brain or sort of like, you know, that's kind of that sci-fi is becoming something of a reality with the idea of Neuralink that mm. Elon's doing. Um, but I think this idea of like downloading a skill, mm-hmm. I don't think would work because to learn something is to experience it. Hmm. And you can't, I don't think that you can download experience. Yeah. It's embodied. It's lived. It's, it's not, it's not information mm-hmm. like it is, but not, you know, like you can put it in a packet and then install it in a port and then you've got the information. It's like, you can only get the information by doing 
the thing. Oh, dude. So you've got to make, you've got to be allowed to fail so that you have the information about how to make decisions. It's not mm-hmm. done by fiat. Yeah, yeah. That's so good. Well, because along with that too, is like it's like we also get the download in things into our kids. Like there's there's things that I learned from my dad as an entrepreneur, you know, as a dentist. That wait, you're a dentist? <laughs> my dad was a dentist. <laughs> uh, sorry, I forgot to tell you. I'm, I'm picking, also I'm also I'm picking on you for uh, unspecific pronoun use. <laughs> Yeah, but it's fascinating because like there's things that I experienced through him that I didn't have to experience myself. And I didn't know that I learned those lessons till right. later on in life. Right, right. And so that's so even like whenever you are around whether it's your parents or your friends, like there's things I learned from you that I don't have to experience myself, but I've almost as if I did experience it because it was somebody close to you in a relationship experienced those things. And so I think there's something in that with wisdom as far as like, you know, you're kind of surrounded with this sort of atmosphere that you don't know what you're actually taking in. Right. And other people's experience as far as decisions and consequences, you're also weighing and seeing them worked out in real life. Right. But that's exactly the point I was making is it's not downloaded into you. Totally. Yeah. It's lived. Mm -hmm even if you're learning it by experiencing it through someone else, Mm. even if it's unarticulated, you know, totally like the stuff you learned from your dad that you didn't realize you knew till later, Mm -hmm. it wasn't an articulated lesson. Yeah. It was learning through experience. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, there's maybe a, um, like a moral question here that I want to try to ask. Okay. Which is, so it's, it's maybe related to the order and chaos thing and maybe related to the idea of dictating the results of decisions by fiat to your children or to your friends or to your company or whatever. It's like to your country as a politician. Um, I feel like it's immoral to do that because it removes, well, it removes from the people who are being dictated to it's dehumanizing because part of what is human about us is our ability to make decisions, to make things clear and the creative generative effects that come out of that. And if you remove that and you say, decision's been made, this is how you operate, that's dehumanizing. So I had this thought experience in my head as we were just talking now. I was thinking like, what if, what if there are aliens and <laughs> I don't know how to make this make sense. <laughs> what if there are aliens and some of the aliens are hell bent on destroying us, but there's some other aliens who are protecting us mm-hmm. and they're doing such a good job at protecting us that we have no idea that they're even there. Hmm. Like, would that be a good thing or a bad thing to know if it were true and you didn't know? Oh, interesting. 
Well, if you, if you come from a, from a parental aspect is that that's kind of what we do for our kids is that we do protect them from a certain amount of, or ideally we should be protecting them from a certain amount of external things that they don't need to deal with. Um, you know, whether it be paying bills or, uh, you know, food on the table, like those are things that most parents try to do for their kids without them understanding what the consequences of them providing that for them is like, that's not their. Yeah, totally. Like when a when a, like a toddler Mm -hmm. should probably be more concerned with learning to walk and use the bathroom in the bathroom rather than on the carpet <laughs> than they are with like the fed rake height. Yeah. <laughs> hike, you know, uh, or what best investments for the next two yeah, years. <laughs> right. Like we're limited creatures. We should be allowed some focus. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, you know, you could say, well, it's a good thing that we're not having to be worried about the aliens who are trying to destroy us. Mm-hmm. Just like it's a good thing that a toddler is, you know, protected from, uh, <laughs> protected from well everything except for like learning some fine motor skills, uh-huh. you know. Um, otherwise, he'd never learn them. Uh-huh. But if you continue treating that toddler that way mm-hmm. as they grow up, that's a very bad thing. Yes, this is back to the idea of time preferences. Mm-hmm. So, like, if it's true that there's a world destroying asteroid coming at us, you know. To some extent, it's probably good that it that I don't know about it because mm-hmm. otherwise it would change everything. But at some point, it's going to change everything, so I need to know about it. Mm. Well, it almost it almost kind of again. I think that's I think it's why kids are such a great example of all these things. Is that there's this part too where you know if you spoil a kid and protect them from any sort of harm, it's like it at some point they're going to have to deal with, with adversity and consequences and decisions. They're going to deal with much more harm Mm -hmm. because they've been spoiled and they've learned no resilience. Exactly. They're, they're, they're fragile rather Mm -hmm. than anti-fragile. Exactly. Yeah. And so there's, there's some degree of like, you know, at some point those aliens, you know, might need to allow us into the, (laughs) into the, the fold as far as like what's happening. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like my, my alien analogy is failing to, um, it's failing to really connect here, but I, I'm going to roll with it. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to stretch it, as far, it, as, stretch it as far as it goes. Um, so I'm thinking <clears throat> about, um, Eric Neumann in the origins and history of consciousness. Mm. And he talks about how the proper path of human life is, you know, you, you, in the emergence of consciousness, you have to emerge from something, mm. which means you have to individuate and separate yourself from that. And you see all this imagery of that, you know, whether it's in the, um, the biblical story of Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden and, and moving out of the garden of Eden or Abraham leaving his family. And, right. You know, mm-hmm. you see it in a lot of mythology, the, you know, the hero myth, the mm-hmm. has to leave the hometown and you have to individuate. And there's, a, and there's yeah. a death in that mm-hmm. actually. And in a lot of mythologies, there's a literal death when children grow up and the hero journey includes them killing their parents. Mm. Um, I think this is part of the death of the decision and the decision as a concept is, is to individuate. It is to clarify. Mm. It's to make, to separate this from that. And in, and in part, when I do that, I also separate myself 
from who I was before into who I am now, who I'm becoming. There's death in that. But that's not the end of the story. Mm. This is what Eric Neumann says, or Newman, I don't know how to say his name. N-E-U-M-A-N-N. How would you say it? Newman. Newman. (laughs) Newman. (laughs) But that leads to its own pathology. Hmm. It's like, it's, it's almost like a psychopathy um, or perhaps even narcissism. You, you individuate, separate from what is, which is an act of creation. Mm -hmm. It's something new, but the pathological into that is psychopathy and narcissism. Peter Pan, basically. Is that Peter Pan? No. Peter Pan does not grow up. Hmm. Sorry, I don't want to derail it. Well, just to to finish that, I was about to say to land that plane, (laughs) which I hate that. (laughs) Is that a euphemism? Uh, Analogy. Analogy. It's like I spent too many years in Accenture, Mm -hmm. like consultancy, and this is what Accenture, you know, consultant people say, I'm going to land this plane in a meeting. It's like, yeah, you, you do that. Um, well, so the, the corrective to that is that after you've individuated, Oh, you hear that rain. Oh, wow. I thought the AC was like kicking into overdrive. Mm -hmm. Now it's raining. Um, after you've individuated, then you must reincorporate. Hmm. which is to bring the result of the creation of the individual, the wisdom, what is new to bring it back Mm -hmm. into what you separated from. Hmm. And this is why you have all sorts of um, resurrection and redemptive imagery Hmm. in religion and in mythology, whether it's Egyptian um, or uh, Mesopotamian, Mesopotamian, Mesopotamian. Mm -hmm. That's it. (laughs) Got it. Um, Yeah. So to re to reincorporate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think back to the alien analogy, it's like at some point it would be immoral to keep you keep a, keep the secret of what you're being protected from, Mm. which I think is why Adam and Eve had to leave the garden. It's like, there's something immoral hmm. to keeping them protected from what's outside of the garden. Yeah. Don't leave the garden. It wasn't you, you may not. I'm not, you know, God didn't say I'm putting, uh, burning angels with swords mm-hmm. to protect, pre- prevent you from leaving. He just said, it's a garden. It's everything, everything you could want. Mm-hmm. Don't leave. And then, you know, they eat from the tree and they leave, yeah. which wakes them up. It wakes them up to what they're being protected from. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh shit, now I know how to value the garden, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and we work our whole lives to try to get back. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the, I th- and, and to just simply protect without the knowledge to protect and not give the knowledge of what you're being protected from mm-hmm. is immoral. And you can't just give the knowledge you have it has to be learned, hmm. which means it has to be experienced and it has to be embodied, which means at some point you have to let your kids go hmm. and make all their mistakes, you know? Yeah. Just like as societies, we have to keep looping through the same mistakes. It's like, 
Eric Weinstein, I heard him talking about how he is a proponent of resuming above ground nuclear bomb tests. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh Because he says we have lost the taste for it. We don't know what it is. Yeah. The tactile, the experience of what that it's, it's so in the past. If you want to prevent us from getting into nuclear war, we have to see it. Mm -hmm. So, set one off, test them above ground. And so we could be like, holy shit, we don't want to have anything to do with that. You know? Yeah. It's, it's really almost like, you know, whether or not we should or shouldn't I think that, but I think if you think of the, just the visceral experience, like, Hey, everybody, we're going to do this. And the, with the cameras and the yeah. cinematography that we have nowadays, fucking drones. Yeah. Drones. It's like a few of them get blown up. Shoot it the from the international space, <clears throat> like film it from the international space station. Uh-huh. Like, Yeah could make some epic yeah <laughs> epic I mean, videos i mean I, again i i don't propose this but it's like it it might help us to kind of like regain the sort of respect and um fear and and oh yeah totally <clears throat> we we're both like all oh. <laughs> of what that what we've kind of what we have created in the destruction that we were able or capable of you right know? but that's how it is it's like you know there's a war and then the next generation remembers the war in the third generation, it's it's sort of like it, it's not as tangible. It's not real. It's not real. You don't know what they're talking about. It's mm-hmm. like you can read books, you can yeah. listen to stories, mm-hmm. but that's not knowledge. That's why I think Judaism really captures these things so much. Like it's embedded in their cultures. You know, they eat the seder dinner, which is reminding them about the Exodus. You know, mm-hmm. and the bitterness and the sweetness, and everything represents something. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things embedded it's in. Not enough to tell the story. Let's taste it. Let's taste too. it. Yeah, there's yeah. an experience of it. You know, and, and there's a what is it? The feast of tabernacles. There's there's all these different things throughout the season to remind them, kind of of a historical reality that is doomed to repeat itself. And we need to remember this, you know, um, you know, I think other religions do it well too, but I think, I think Judaism does it probably the best Hmm. as far as like how how to remember, how to remember and to not repeat our mistakes. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, because again, you just read the old Testament. There's a lot of, a lot of reality as far as decisions and consequences and, like there's a whole book of Kings where it talks about the decisions that different Kings made and what happened and why. And, you know, it's like, um, you know, our prophets talking about, you know, it's like, Hey, turn, turn the other way. <laughs> Don't go this way. You know, it's like, and I think we just get, we get, I think a lot of us get too hung up in the religious language of it that we forget the, the actual practical, wisdom that's being passed on to us through these stories Hmm. that that can keep us from actual harm right (laughs) not just theoretical or oh it's religious or whatever you know right Hmm. if you want to live life it's risky business (laughs) it is (laughs) (laughs) but life is good Mm -hmm. it's good to live i think it's better to live than to not (laughs) Like I'd rather I'd rather live than die. Mm-hmm. I mean, that seems like a stupid thing to say, <laughs> uh-huh. but I actually think it's worth saying because, you know, it's not just me. Mm-hmm. And some of these positions that we take, it's like, you don't, 
like, is it better to have kids or not have kids? Like we think about that as like a, like some personal preference, Mm -hmm. but as we sort of talked through, it is an ultimate question of, is it better to live or die? Mm -hmm. Is it better that we're here or we're not here? Mm -hmm. I mean, I look at, I'm just constantly astounded at what it is that we do as humans. Like even something as simple as decision-making and Mm -hmm. and clarifying. Making something that wasn't there before, this creative effect, blows my mind. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what you wake up with every morning. You get to do that. It's like, to your point, there's something divine in that. Mm-hmm. When you are a semi god, yeah, and to say it would be better if you didn't exist, it's like it's like saying it would be better if there weren't roses or tigers, mm-hmm. you know, or or if there wasn't an ocean. <laughs> like, it's blasphemy. <laughs> How could you? <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Or the color color green. It'd be better if there wasn't the color green. It's arbitrary. You know, we don't need it. Everything could just be a different color. <laughs> just make everything that's green red. Yeah. No difference. But it, I mean, it, but it is kind of interesting though, too, is like how much, you know, we weren't always the apex predator or the, the, the top of the food chain, you know? And, but the difference in this sort of happening this way that we we are sort of like the the top of the food chain now there's something that over time we have had to learn that we have a responsibility and i think that's again like children you know we have we are, we're coming into the the consequences of our decision making and you know how we move into the future and the responsibilities we have because we're finding out how powerful we really are. And I think that's something that we haven't even scratched the surface on how powerful humans really are or ingenuity or ingenuitive or, you know, creative. It's like we've barely scratched the surface. And I think just the last hundred years have, have should have taught us that, like how creative and ingenuitive we are. And, you know, some people will th- see that and think of all the, the negative consequences. It's like, no, we've, we've made mistakes. Hmm. But you know what? There's also most of the people in the Western world specifically eat better than kings did a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. 150 years ago. So we do, there's a certain amount of perspective we have to put things in, but uh, it makes me excited about our future, but there's something that we need to be humble and, and, and truly aware of, of, of how powerful we really are. And that, that takes responsibility and that there's consequences to our decisions. So yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that responsibility aspect is is mm-hmm. powerful. It's like now that you <clears throat> you're a conscious human being. Well, sorry about you. Yeah. You have the ability <laughs> to see and observe and then act, mm-hmm. which is to make decisions to yeah. clarify. And so you have a responsibility to use that well, and mm-hmm. you can't not use it. Mm-hmm. You can only either use it well or not. And so you have a responsibility. You're born with it. Yeah. Just like a God. What the, the first Thor movie is one of my 
<laughs> favorite movies. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it in years, but it, it makes this point, I think, quite eloquently. It's like, he's a god, and so he has responsibility. And you can't give that responsibility up, because mm-hmm. you can't stop being a god. Sorry about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, take your responsibility, or everyone suffers. Mm. If the gods don't be gods, everyone suffers. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't use your divine power to see and decide and clarify, everyone suffers. Mm. Not just you. Yeah. You know. So, I think there's a ton of hope in that. There's also a grave responsibility, which is terrifying. And I understand why people don't want to pick that up because it's a calling. It's a calling. I mean, it really is. I think that's something that we are all, I mean, that's what the superheroes, the uh, superhero stories, the, any sort of mythology or Eric Newman. It's like, we all have a calling and it's like, it's like, you almost don't even have a decision whether you answer it or not. It's like you are making a decision by not answering your calling. Yeah. That's why and, I say people suffer like you're yeah. right. I, that's why I say, I don't think that you get to not make decisions. Even to not make decisions is to make the decision to not do them. So totally. talk about wiring. Yeah, totally. You know, uh-huh. this is the fix you're in. Yeah. So it's the archetypes. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it's like the pick up your sword Mm -hmm. and go make some decisions Mm -hmm. and see what happens. I I think that with a little bit of practice, you will feel relief and you will see the creative generative nature of your power and Mm -hmm. the way that it affects the world in positive ways. And you're not going to get it right all the time and you're going to have to suffer the negative consequences sometimes, maybe all the time, but the, or for a season, but the good that you do will always far outweigh that. I mean, this is, I think this is the wisdom of essentially every religion. Hmm. There is good and it's not objectively there. You create it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, you're doing everyone a disservice. Yeah. And the more good you create, the better things get. And the rewards of that are not even just the rewards of the goodness that you create. You know, we reward that in other people and you will be rewarded by everyone else Mm. the more you do it. I think that's worth a cheer right there. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. Well, thank you guys. Yeah. I'm just, I hope we all can hear the rain. It's beautiful. Yeah. Unless you keep going. I just feel like I want to stop. That's a good place to stop. You, you, yeah. You, you summed it up so well. All right. I'll leave it there. <laughs> Thanks right. for listening. Definitely. Love, Love you guys. You. Ciao.